All right, well, I want to just start tonight's sermon with a story. I remember um, a young man, he was, he was only about 24, I think 25 at the time, and I had gone to school with him, and he was known as, I guess you could call him a pervert. He was at a Christian school, but he was probably the worst one you would want your kid to be around. He would, he would wear uniforms, and he would wear these dirty shirts underneath of his uniforms, and then he would, as soon as the school was over, he would quickly take off his shirt and let everybody know what the attitude of his heart was. And they would be these perverted t-shirts and things. But God so gripped that young man that I don't know that I've ever seen such transformation in my life. Um, and this, this young man became a mentor to me, even though he was much younger than me. And I saw his walk, and I was just blown away by it. God just did so much in his life so quickly. But it wasn't very many years after this deep walk with the Lord that he ended up in the hospital. And he had ultracephalitis, where his colon was just bleeding. He was bleeding like a stuck pig. And they ended up having surgery. And for years, he was just in agony. And nobody could figure out why. He was, he was just constantly bleeding and constantly in pain, many times just writhing on the floor for hours and hours and hours every day. And they were just trying to manage his pain. He was humiliated as a young man because, you know, he had a colostomy bag and it was just not a good life for a young man who may be looking to get married at that time in his life or something. And I remember watching his life and I'll never forget the grace in which he suffered. And I went to the hospital one day, and I sat down and was reading the book of Job, just preparing my own heart, because I felt like this young man was, was going through something like Job. And I had all these theological points that I was wanting to lead him through, you know, at his bed. And I just remember walking in that room and sensing the presence of God so thick on that room, in that room, that I could feel like I could hardly breathe. He was as white as a ghost. He had lost so much blood. And he was so weak that he couldn't even hardly talk. I had to get right up by his face so that he could just whisper to me. And he just, I remember he just said, Stephen, I couldn't flip my hand one way or the other if God wants me to stay here and serve him or if he wants to take me home. He said, but all I know is that he's been sitting on the end of my bed for the last two weeks. And he's been comforting me. And I remember the other people in the room that had come in since I came in. And all the words that, that I had for him just completely just evaporated. Because I saw such a love and such a trust in the Lord that I left weeping that day. I left the hospital weeping and so did everyone else in the room because of what he was going through and yet there was such a significant grace on him that it left a, a mark in me to this day of watching this young man thinking I would never, ever, ever want to be in his position with his level of pain for years and just the situation that he was in. And yet he never sinned with his mouth that I heard. It was only trust and faith and love towards God. So much that his own mother, you know, basically like Job's wife, 
said, why don't you curse God and die? Like you were living this way and you gave your heart to God and you're all in. You have ran after God with all your heart and yet he's, he is doing this to you, was her view. And she, she just couldn't understand it. But he lived in front of her such an amazing, amazing testimony. I just want to think with you tonight, and I'm a novice at what I'm talking about. I'm just going to share that with you tonight. I know almost nothing about what I'm talking about. But the little bit that I do know, I want to to share with you. And a lot of it, I I look around the room and I can see people that are much more experienced and much more graceful in what I'm talking about. But uh, if you'll just, if you'll just tarry with me, I want to just share a little bit. I feel like I, I have walked through a little bit of this over the last six weeks or so. And uh, I just want to talk about the supernatural natural power in suffering. That if God leads you into that valley, or he allows you to go into that valley, that he will be there with you. He will give you the grace to endure it, and not just endure it, but endure it with grace, and come out the other side with a testimony, and to do it with such an, a powerful way that it can be a light to everyone around you. So I want to just kind of think back over our history as a church, not specifically this church, but the church at large. What is the heritage as God's people? We are a people that if we can be separated from our roots, then we can easily be destroyed by the enemy. But if we realize the kind of people and the significant work of grace that God has done in people so that he looked at the disciples, these guys that had failed him over and over, and yet he was so confident of the work that he was getting ready to do at them at Pentecost that he was ready to leave and say, boys, tag your it. That's what he was willing to do. So we are part of this church. It was birthed, how? It was birthed when our suffering Savior was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was stripped naked, he was beaten, He was bruised and he was crucified for us. He was put through unbelievable things. And yet when you see Jesus right before he's going to be crucified, what does he do? It says he takes the cup, which is representing the blood that he's going to spill for us. And he takes the bread and he rips the bread, representing that his body is going to be torn for us. And yet it says, after giving thanks. After giving thanks. That is the the attitude that Jesus had, that Lord, Father, even though I'm going through this suffering, he saw to the other side and he did it with incredible grace. So much so that the man that was responsible to make sure that he had died, he falls to his knees and he sees Jesus dying, praying for the people that are killing him and he says, surely this was the son of God. Why? Because he suffered with dignity and he suffered with grace and the more he was pressed, he simply love came out of him. And that testimony is just burnt into the souls of those who see that kind of thing. So, Jesus is raised from the dead. He ascends and he sends his spirit to embolden us, his body. I want you to listen to Hebrews 11 because these are people who suffered greatly and yet they were held up as the, the people that we are supposed to emulate. So he talks about there's been many who, listen to this, were tortured, refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. It says some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Then he gives his evaluation of them. And listen to the evaluation that he gives. He says, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. If you saw someone today like that, you're like, look at this homeless guy over here. What's his problem? Why doesn't he clean his act up? He's destitute. He's running around in little caverns and all this kind of, he's persecuted. The world pushes him to the side, squeezes him out. And yet God's, from God's perspective, he says, the world was not worthy of these people who were willing to be persecuted for righteousness sake and do it with grace and dignity. So, It's kind of been a prayer of mine. Lord, let me walk in a way worthy of all that Christ did for me. And we could add this to the prayer. Help me to walk in a way that this fleeting world would not be worthy of you being here. That God says, you can walk in a way that people can say, wow. And it's not because you were so great. It may be that you went through a whole lot But God's grace shone through every single one of those times that you suffered in such a powerful way that God says, that is absolutely amazing. He says, they wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So even though they trusted God so significantly and they loved him and they pursued him and they held onto their faith, he says, none of those people got what they were hoping for. But listen to what he said. He says, since God had planned something better, what in the world did he plan? For us, so that only together, listen to this, with us would they be made perfect. Only as our faith and their faith unite together, he said, would they be made perfect. And we will take a, make this testimony ring out to the demonic realm of the faithfulness of God that God says, I promised them. Yeah, even in their little life, they didn't get what I promised, just like Abram. He didn't see it. He didn't see the fulfillment of everything he was hoping for. But in heaven, can you imagine Abram looking and saying, wow, God, you're amazing. I got children over every nation of this world. And Satan's still trying to take the place where you promised me and you're still being faithful and you will be faithful. This is incredible that 4,500 years later, you're still being faithful to your word. And I've got children that I can't even count all over the world that have put their faith in Yahweh. But that's exactly what God did. So look at some of the patriarchs of old. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into the fiery furnace. When they go in there, what do they do? They testify. We We know that God can save us and we believe he's going to save us. But even if he doesn't save us, What? We're still trusting him. We're still trusting him. So the question is, when we go into the fiery furnace, do we come out like those boys, not even smelling like smoke, but yet exalted? They weren't running after it. They were after one thing, the audience of one. They were wanting to please God. But God blessed them and poured blessing out on them because of their faithfulness and their trust of the Lord. But they came out, the Bible says, not even smelling like smoke. And I'm thinking, when we go through hard times and we go through persecution for righteousness sake, not for what we've done wrong, but maybe for what we've done right, do we come out of those times with bitterness and anger and malice and hatred and unforgiveness? Or do we come out of those times where someone has wronged us significantly and greatly and it becomes a testimony that you have a greater power within you 
And the other person who may not even be in the right place spiritually cannot control you because you have the infinite power of God within you. And all of a sudden, someone looks at your life and says, through persecution for righteousness sake, you've loved those people, you've done what's right, you've taken the higher path and you were persecuted for it. Instead of getting bitter, you came out not even smelling like smoke, you came out as a testimony of the greatness of God. That's what God wants. That's some of the, the supernatural power there is in suffering. So, I remember my dad, before he passed, he was talking to my sister and he was just sharing she told my dad, she said, Dad, you missed your calling. <laughs> and I believe he did. He felt like very early he was called to preach. But he was, asked, he was telling my sister right before he passed, he said, you know, God's been really just working me over with this thing. We're supposed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and with fire. It's like, I've always wondered what the fire is. He says, I believe it's it's the fire of the Holy Spirit that burns out everything, every impurity in you, and, and everything other than pure agape love. And I said, I think, he's get, I think he's getting it. I think he's getting it. But God wants us, when we go through those fires of tribulation, for that to be happening. He wants to expose things that we don't actually trust him. All kinds of things have been flushed out of me this week. You know, it's just been like God's been exposing different levels of different things and going through the fire. It says that God sits as the silversmith. What does a silversmith do? If you remember, you've probably heard this illustration, but it's a beautiful one, that the silversmith would sit there and he would take all these different metals and sit them in a pot and he would light a fire underneath of it. And when it got hot enough, some of the alloys and different things would start melting and they would come up to the top. And he would just take something and pull all of that off and put it over here. And then he would heat it up more and different types of metal would come to the top. And he would just keep doing that and doing that and doing that and doing that. And eventually he would know that the, the silver was just pure silver. How would he know that? He didn't just get this weird, you know, pleasure out of just scorching the silver. He had a mission and a purpose with the heat. And ultimately, when all of the junk started coming up and he could separate that out, where only he had the pure silver, he could look into the pot and when he could see his own perfect reflection, he knew that he had only silver. A mirror is just a sheet of glass with silver on the back of it. So you see a reflection of yourself. And when God looks in that pot and he sees, oh, self-reliance, self Oh, there's some pride. There's all these things. What does he do? He turns up the heat to show us, you, you don't look like me here. When someone does you wrong, you think about how you can get them back. When someone does me wrong, I bless them and I pray for them. For those who despitefully use me, you don't look like me. And so I'm gonna allow you to go through these things to get this garbage out because my perfect plan is that each one of us would look just like him. We're supposed to be his body, right? And we're supposed to be his representative. So we have to represent him to the world. And if we've got all of self, because it hasn't been purified out, how are we gonna represent Christ? So he allows us to go through these different things. Think about Daniel. I've used this illustration before, but he was taken from his home. His parents were most likely murdered. He goes to Babylon. He's given a new name. He's re-educated. There's all of these crazy things. He has made a eunuch for you guys that know what I'm talking about. This is crazy. 
Crazy, crazy things. Like they say, listen, you're not going to be having kids. You can forget about future generations. You can forget about dreaming about getting married one day and all this kind of stuff. You can throw all that to the side. What you can do is you can serve me in a way. This earthly kingdom right here called Babylon, you can give me everything you got and I will bless you here and now because that's all you get. But in spite of Daniel having all of supposedly the vision taken from him, he was still living for God's glory and God blessed him and he changed the hearts of four kings throughout his life because he kept the vision. And he says, I will not defile myself. And despite the unbelievable levels of persecution that he went through, he shone with great glory, the character and nature of God. That's what he did. So, if you remember share with you how they said, sing us those songs like you used to sing in Zion. When you were all happy and everything was going great and you were blessed in your little chosen city and all this kind of stuff, sing us those songs. But the psalmist says, no, I will sing those songs in front of the gods because I understand still the faithfulness of God. God was being faithful to his word that if they didn't trust him, they had cheated God out of 490 years. So they owed him 70 years. And God was being faithful to his word and they were there being disciplined by a God who loved them and was going to bring them back. So Daniel just went ahead and praised God three times a day. And that's what we should be doing. Just constantly living with praise on our lips no matter the circumstances, realizing that the faithfulness of God is overarching whatever is going on in our life. So think about the Apostle Paul. He's stripped, he's beaten, he's chained, he's thrown in the dungeon. And what's he doing? At midnight... He's singing. He's singing. And he's singing so loud that everyone can hear. I have to wonder, if he was traveling, would he want you to go with him? Would he want me to go with him? So, Doug, you the man. I want you to come with me, right? Because he looks at us and even being able to be persecuted for righteousness sake. You know what it says about him whenever he gets out of prison? He's beaten, I mean, 39 lashes. They had killed guys at 40. He's been beaten within an inch of his life, thrown in this dungeon, stripped naked, humiliated, all of these different things. And it says when he comes out, he goes to his brother and, and encourages them. He doesn't say, dude, look at me. I got bruises all over me. Man, you gotta, you. He goes, you, you boys doing all right? Everybody doing all right? You got your, how's your faith? This guy is, he has got the right view, but he says, I want to know Christ and on the top of that, I want to know the fellowship of God that only comes through what? Suffering. He says, there's a fellowship to be joined in, but it's only the mature that can do it. He says, but you've got to, you've got to rise to that level that you're willing to even suffer for righteousness sake because there becomes that fellowship and there's supernatural things that can happen and you can be a light and a testimony. I remember a young man that I had witnessed to teaching martial arts to him for around five years. And then I injured my back and I was flat on my back for six weeks. And I was in tears because I told my parents, I was so into martial arts and just that kind of stuff. And at that time in my life, I told my mom, I don't even want to live if I get injured bad. That's what I had told her before. I kind of recanted on that. But anyways, I'm laying there in the bed, not being able to move. They're saying they're going to have to fuse my back. That's what the doctor's saying. And, and I am freaking out, not knowing if I'm going to ever walk again or be able to do, you know, what I was loved so much. And uh, ultimately... The crazy part was, is this young man called me, my student called me to the house, and I had been ministering to him for five years, never ever 
would he give his life to Christ. But over the phone, when he heard my suffering, what was going on, that I was still laying in that bed after five weeks, and I said, all I know is that God knows why he allowed this to happen in me, and I trust him. If I never walk again, if I never kick again, I trust him. And the guy on the other end of the line, he gave his life to Christ that night on the phone (laughs) just because he said these words. He said, Steve, if you can trust God in this time, then I guess I want to. And he gave his life to Christ over the phone that night because God gave me the grace and that time just to keep the right attitude while I was going through something that was the worst thing I had ever gone through up to that time in my life. And I, and I kind of got knocked in the face of saying, wow, God can do great things in time of suffering if we will keep our eyes on him. So think with me. Daniel's thrown to hungry lions. We come from a long line of people who sang while they were being thrown to lions. You guys know those stories? Anybody know those stories? That's, that is just reality. That's, that's our history. That people literally were taken out for loving Christ and they're going to be fed to hungry lions and they weren't whining and falling into self-pity and all this kind of stuff. They were singing because they realized, wow, God has chosen me to be a martyr to seal this gospel with my blood. It wasn't about, hey, have your best life now. No, they were saying, listen, I'm here for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so they had a different view. They had such a high calling. And if God honored them to be able to seal the message with their blood, they felt honored. And so they left being persecuted for righteousness sake or maybe losing their life with going, how am I so lucky to be the one chosen? That's a totally different perspective than the Western church. You agree with me? So he says, not only those who could put up with persecution, but those who would pray for their persecutors. Now we're getting into another level, not just being able to bear under persecution, but to actually have a heart that is is praying. I was named after a man, Stephen. My mom gave me that name because Stephen was the first martyr after Christ laid his life down. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was a man filled with wisdom and the Holy Spirit, and he did all kinds of signs and wonders, and he gave this scalding rebuke and this message, and they didn't like it, so they took him out and stoned him. I believe he's the first guy in the Bible that gets a standing ovation from the Lord. Because every time you see in the Bible, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, seated at the right hand of the Father. But it says when Stephen saw the heavens were opened and Stephen saw Jesus standing, he's like, dude, check this guy out. This is awesome, right? He's like, he's doing it. Look, not only is he laying his life down, he's doing the same exact thing that I did. He's praying for those who are killing him right now. He gets it. He gets it, right? There's this divine life that had come upon Stephen and opened his eyes to a a much bigger reality. And so he's praying for those people. Lord, they don't understand what they're doing. Bless them. Open their eyes. And so 2,000 years later, there's this woman who gets pregnant and she says, I know exactly the name that I want for my son. What I want is for my son to be so changed that if someone was even killing him, he could be praying for the people killing him. So I'm gonna name him Stephen. That's where I got my name from. We have a legacy to uphold, right? It's incredible. William Wormbrandt, if you've ever heard of Torture for Christ, after around 14 years, if I remember the story correctly, I remember going and watching this movie, Tortured for Christ. 
And they were encouraging one another with scripture and things, and they would hear them. They'd take them out and beat them within an inch of their life. And they would throw them back in the cell, and when they threw them back in the cell, they would just come in and say, where were we at? And they'd just pick up right where they left off. They were unbelievable. Unbelievable. This man's, you know, his, his wife and children are in like death camps, and all this crazy stuff has happened. They've been separated apart from one another. And he is, I believe it's like eight years into the, into the time that he had been being persecuted. And they had taken him out and beaten him and they take him in the, and, and the uh, guard comes to his door and he sees William on his knees and he's praying. And the guard rips the door open and looks at him and he starts yelling at me. He says, your wife is gonna die in this death camp. Your children are over here. And he's just telling them what is, he says, you've been praying to your God for your imaginary God for eight years and he hasn't heard a word that you said he's never going to deliver. He says, I wasn't praying for myself. I was praying for you. And you see the, this man's, the blood just rush out of his face as he realizes there's something different about this man. There's something different about him. He's willing to, to be persecuted and the love of God shine out of him. So it's pretty wild because Billy was talking to me yesterday at our men's group and he was just talking about his name. Leidner, right? It means sufferer. And just to change one letter, the D to a T means leader. And I'm thinking about who was a sufferer for righteousness' sake was John the Baptist. John's there. His whole life was leaping and rejoicing and preparing the way for Jesus. He knew like nobody else who Jesus was. Literally, Mary comes in, and what happens? John the Baptist freaking out. He's leaping in the water, right? The next time you see John seeing Jesus, he's doing the same thing. He's, he's leaping out of the water. He's in the Jordan River, and he says, behold the Lamb of God. So both times you see him, he's in the water, and he sees Jesus, or just senses that Jesus is there, and he's freaking out because he knows who Jesus is. But now everything has changed. He's in prison. He's got a death sentence. He's getting ready to lose something fairly important to him. And he starts questioning at least a little bit. He says, uh, will you send someone to Jesus and ask him, are you the one or should we wait for another? And you know what happens? They go to Jesus and they ask him this question. And it says, there's different, the go- different gospels tell the story. But one of the gospels says this. As, as they came to ask him this question, he starts opening blinded eyes and the deaf are hearing, the lame are walking, the dumb are talking, right? All this stuff starts happening. So they're like, hey, Jesus, I can see, I can see. There's another guy, he's jumping around, I can hear, I can hear. And all these miracles are happening right in front of them. And he just says, Jesus says, you go tell John what you have seen and what you have testified with your own eyes. The dumb they speak, the deaf they hear, the lame they walk, they're rejoicing. And he says, and the gospels preach to the poor. And then he adds this little catchphrase, and you'll be blessed. Whatever man does not fall away on account of me. He's saying, John, I know we're blood relatives, it appears like. I know that you think I owe you this one, and you've been faithful and you've given your whole life to me, but I'm not saving you. I'm not doing what you think is best. I'm going to do what I know is best. I want to have you seal the gospel with your blood. You're going to lose your head. But the story is not really that sad. It's not as sad an ending 
He got a new one. I tell it to the kids all the time. It's no big deal. He got a new one. The story ends good. He's all right. He's not, he's not you know, worked up about it in heaven. He sees the perspective now, God's wisdom. And we need the bigger story so that we can suffer for righteousness' sake and be happy in it. So, it's part of our DNA. This is the bloodline we are from. Jesus came and was willing to suffer for the good of us. It's literally who we are. I want to just read you a little bit of stuff here from Jesus. Listen to this. This is John 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you. Why? That when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I... Listen to this. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. You know, I think I may have shared this before, but my wife started getting um, sensing from the Lord that she was supposed to pray for a painless childbirth with Zoe. And I had heard about this like a couple weeks earlier. And I was like, I had never heard of that in my life. I'm like, what? And so I'm wrestling with this theologically. And she comes up to me and says, honey, I feel like a couple weeks God's been telling me I need to pray for a painless childbirth. And so we started praying for it. And when she talked to her midwife, I think has delivered like 3,500 kids or something. She said, would you tell me Tell me your favorite birthing story. My wife wanted to hear her favorite birthing story. And she sat my wife down and said, Bree, I'm not telling you this because I'm talking to you. I promise you, I have never in my life seen something like I witnessed at your house. My wife went in and just got this peace came over her in the bathroom. And she just walked out and said, where do you want to do this at? And God just literally blessed us with a painless childbirth. It was absolutely amazing. And yet, I don't mean there wasn't pressure. I don't mean there wasn't contractions. I don't mean there weren't those things. But my wife had, God had given her the grace to see a bigger meta-narrative, a bigger story in that time. Many times, women will come up to that moment and start feeling trapped, right? I have zero experience, but I've heard, right? And you, you, you start getting tra- feeling trapped and you start becoming cowardly. Like, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And that's what I think like, God is taking us and saying, listen, if we're coming to the end of this age, this is what we were made for. This is why God placed us here. The things of the next realm and this next age is getting ready to come up on us. And he's saying, listen, don't lose heart in those moments. You remember in moments, in a twinkling of an eye like this, you're going to be experiencing pleasures you cannot possibly imagine in my right hand forevermore. He's like, don't get faint. You have the maturity to keep your eyes where they need to be. Otherwise, you're going to grow faint in these moments. So, 
He says, those who sow in tears, what will they reap in? Joy. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. When Jesus had spoken these words, this is John 18, he says, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. You know what it says about David? That David, he fled when Absalom was coming after David, he fled from his own son, barefoot and weeping through the valley Kidron, the Kidron Valley, to escape his own son. I just see it as God creates this beautiful creature, his creation. Many theologians believe is the greatest of God's creation. Lucifer, light bearer, and yet what happens? He turns on God, and you see Jesus going through the Kidron Valley. He's weeping for the people in Jerusalem because they don't even understand what's coming, but he literally goes through this valley weeping for the good of the people and so that he can shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we can go all over the world and tell everyone the gospel. But he says suffering is just part of this. I want to end with just a few stories of people who have suffered immense things over history and yet have been victorious one way or the other. Just the power of suffering. Listen to this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You guys ready? Everybody sitting down? Because some of these stories are pretty intense. Okay? One Chinese believer said he could feel the almighty power of God strengthening him to endure the unbearable. After unbelievable forms of abuse, they covered the floor of a cell with human waste and put him in there with criminals. The criminals were told they would be kept there indefinitely until they got him to comply. The criminals took turns torturing him, but they could not get him to deny his Lord. And the authorities finally gave up after they had tried so many different things but he said, you know how I was able to do that? Because I felt the grace come up on me to endure grave persecution, great persecution, and yet be able to do something supernatural because God's grace was up on me. Once a communist officer was beaten, beating a Christian, and he said, I am almighty, as you suppose your God to be. I can kill you. The Christian answered him back, the power is all on my side. I can love you while you torture me to death. That's a totally different perspective. That is a totally different perspective, isn't it? Listen, you, you can do whatever God allows you to do to my body, but you cannot change that the almighty power of God and the agape love of God can flow through me to you. And this story, it may look like you have won, but this story, hundreds of years from now, many times God has used those stories thousands of years later to inspire other people to give their life. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Anybody into despair? Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body 
the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in your mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. See why Paul was asking, he would constantly pray, and God, raise us up, make us mature. He was constantly working for the maturity of the believers so they weren't just forgiven, but that they could enter into this life that was so transformative for thousands of other people. They shook the world. They shook the world, the early Christians, because they understood these deeper deeper levels. Suffering with grace and love can easily convert many, many more than mere sermons. You can have a whole bunch of smack talk and somebody telling you what to do, but you just put a little pressure on a person that would make anyone fall to their knees and crumble and shake their fist at God. But when he allows you to go through unbelievable things, like Billy walked through and his families recently, right? And I remember driving down, driving down to the hospital to see a little victory and can still remember, he says, Steve, I want to pray for you. (laughs) And I'm driving there and I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I'm like, this is, supernatural, this is supernatural grace on this man. He's praying for me when we're driving down to see his beautiful little daughter in the hospital. But I remember that day because he could have talked all the smack, you know, when he's going on a fishing trip or something. And I'm like, oh, that's good, Billy. I'm glad you, good theology. But when you're put under the pressure, and it should make you crumble and question God, but instead, beautiful things come out, it makes an impact on the people around you. Listen to this. It's a man named Walter. He stood being judged in Scotland, 1551, as a heretic. This is what he said. As a heretic, okay? (laughs) I know I must die once, and therefore, as Christ said to Judas, what thou doest, do quickly. I will not recant the truth. I am wheat and not chaff. I will not be blown away by the wind. Dear friends, I do not suffer today for any crime, but only for the defense of the faith of Jesus Christ. As other faithful martyrs have offered themselves gladly, knowing that they will receive eternal joy, I praise God today that he has called me also to seal up his truth with my life. I have received this life from him and will willingly offer it for his glory. If you too would escape eternal death, depend only on Jesus Christ and his mercy that you may be delivered from eternal judgment. The crowd's hearts were so moved by his death that thousands joined in the faith after they watched him burn the stake. Thousands. It affected the Scottish government so much that they re-examined their views on executing Christians, and he was the last one to be executed, in public at least, in Scotland for their faith. Because this man was like a seed. Because he didn't shake his fist and scream and yell and and curse them. Instead, he said, I willingly and joyfully surrender my life. If you're going to take it from me, then I happily give it. So, listen to Paul one more time. He says, so we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4. 
We do not lose heart, though outer, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. That is the key right there in that passage. He says, I'm not looking at maybe what you're looking at. If you're looking at the seen things, I'm looking to those things that are unseen. I'm looking to the eternal realm. And he says this, for the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but those things that are unseen are eternal. So listen to one more story. In Romania, there was this pastor who was tortured with red-hot iron pokers. He was beaten badly. He was slashed with knives over and over. Starving rats were placed in his cell so he could not sleep. He was forced to stand for well over a week. Then they brought his 14-year-old son and beat him in front of him. When he was literally almost out of his mind from sleepless nights and watching his son being tortured in front of him, he cried out and was ready to recant. But this is what his son says, Father, don't do me the injustice of having a traitor as a dad. Withstand, and if they kill me, I will die. This enraged his captors, and they beat him to death. But while they were doing it, this young man was praising the Lord. Now listen to me. I can't imagine walking through something like that. But what I am telling you is there are people who have had the grace of God on them. And many times I can tell you story after story after story of young people so filled with God's spirit and having such an eternal perspective that they, with great grace, were able to encourage older people to stand and say, Mom, Dad, be faithful. Be faithful. And I think we have some of those kind of young people here. And that's what we need in this day, in this day. But we have to look at where we've been raised and how we've been raised and just go, man, we have had a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of blessings and a whole lot of stuff. But I'm sensing that things are changing a little. There's a shift. There's a monumental shift. And I believe that we need to be getting prepared to say, God, no matter what comes, if we're you know, rewarded for righteousness' sake or were punished for righteousness' sake, we have something supernatural within us that we can stand and not just do it with the grace to get through, but that we can be more than conquerors and we can bless those, every single person that sees us going through the persecutions or the hard times, and we do it with such a grace that their lives can be transformed. That's what I'm praying for. So, last two things. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is that joy? If you say, Lord, in your presence is the fullness of joy. In your presence. Here's what my life is about. Walking in the presence of God continually and consistently. Can you say that? If you can say that, that's called abiding. And I was reminded just a couple of weeks ago as I was literally on the floor crying out to God, God, tell me what you want me to do. And I heard one word. 
abide. <laughs> abide. And I instantly knew. Because what I want to do, I say, God, hey, tell me where to go, and I got you. I'll check back in in 10 years, right? Huh? He says, no, no, no. I want this fellowship. I want this communion. I don't want you to go in front of me. I don't want you to go behind me. I want you to go with me. I want to lead you. And I want your number one goal to be just abiding in my presence, being filled with my spirit constantly, and having that joy that no matter what comes into your life, that joy is going to supersede and maybe even in spite of your circumstances is going to show others that there's something supernatural working in you. So, let me end with this last story. If you remember when Jesus is being persecuted, he's been beaten, he's getting this mock trial, it says something about Peter. Many of them fled, nearly all of them, but John. But Peter, it says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Think about it from perspective of thousands and thousands and thousands of years, there's never been another night that anyone on, the, on this entire planet has needed their friends and those people near them to help them more than Jesus right now. And yet Peter is there. He wants to see what's going on, but he's concerned because he's a little chilly. And so what is he doing? He's close enough that he can see but farther enough away, far enough away, so hopefully he doesn't get in any of that. And he's concerned with his own comfort. I think this is a picture of the modern day American church. So many times we wanna be just close enough that we can see what's going on, maybe get the blessings, but certainly not get into any of the things that would cost us anything. When he's asked, are you, you also, are not one of his disciples, are you? And it says he denied it and said, I am not. I am not. I believe that there's days coming, especially for our children, that they're going to need another level of grace on their life. That they can stand in days that are very, very challenging days, and without supernatural power, they would fold, they would melt like butter on a hot day. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were able to go into the fiery furnace, or David went, or Daniel went in with these, these lions and came out with a testimony, and God having just great grace on them to do the supernatural, that's what I'm praying for us. That every single one of us can stand in these days and not just stand, but stand with the grace that makes your life and your family a testimony. Can we pray together? Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, you have been so good to us. And Lord, we had so many forefathers that tried to build this nation on your principles and your blessings have flown to us in ways, just flowed to us in ways that are just staggering. And we're thankful for them, Lord. And we pray that you would keep your protective hand over us. We repent, Lord, nationally for our sins. We ask for forgiveness. We ask that you will raise us up, Lord, to be a light and a testimony in this day. And God, I pray that you will continue to bless us and put your favor up on us. But Lord, 
part of that many times is you allow us to walk through different things that we learn new things about you and for the good of others, you allow us to walk through times that may be dark at times so we understand that it's not circumstances that bring us our joy, but your presence. So God, deepen our roots, strengthen us, put a steel spine in our back, give us vision, help us to see those eternal things so we can walk through the temporal world with great grace and affect those around us in a profound way. We love you. We pray a blessing on every single family here, Lord. We pray that you would lead them, guide them, direct them, fill them with your spirit, anoint them, Lord, to live lives that bring you glory and honor every second of every day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.